We're in verse 6, chapter 1, and the Bible says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This is John the Baptist, and just so you know, uh, more on him later, not today. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You say amen to that today, would you? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from Him, for from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for this beautiful portion of Scripture that just describes the, the power and the beauty of the incarnation. God, it's so descriptive that I do pray there would be a renewed sense of awe. God, maybe, maybe these things are things we know and things we've thought about, and things we've talked about. But God, we pray the familiarity with what is written in your scripture would compel us to a greater sense of awe, God, to a greater sense of wonder and worship. Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our eyes of understanding and the knowledge of your Son. God, we'd see him more clearly than we ever have before. And Father, we would tap into the fullness of heaven that has been supplied for us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. Well, if you like history, like I like history, then you know D-Day is considered to be the greatest military invasion in human history. Uh, and it's like really no surprise when you think about just the sheer uh, data that's connected to that particular invasion, 156,000 U.S., uh, Canadian, and British troops, 7,000 ships. I mean, some of you have seen some of these pictures and these, these videos. Like, it's extraordinary, just the, uh, the coalition of the Allied forces, 2,700 aircraft, and all of it uh, funneled into one particular moment in time as all of those soldiers stormed the beaches of Normandy. And you know, the, the reason was, uh, obviously, in, in a way, maybe you haven't thought about it like this, but it was a rescue operation. Uh, you know, the Nazism, the totalitarian regime of Hitler had, uh, had its epicenter in Germany, but it had step-by-step step influenced and covered Western Europe and Eastern Europe. Um, and it was, I mean, we're some... 70 years removed, and so we forget how hard that was for the people in Europe at the time. But it was a hopeless situation as they were living under this really brutal totalitarian regime. 
And yet on this particular day that we call D-Day, there was a light in the darkness. There was a ray of hope that was given. There was a turning of the tide, if you will. And on this day, the tide did turn as the Allied forces ultimately advanced all the way into Germany and, you know, eventually won uh, the victory. And, you know, I think about that picture and I think, man, you know, that, that's kind of just a small sliver. It's a small picture of the real rescue operation, the greatest rescue operation that was ever undertaken, and that's called the Incarnation. The Incarnation is the greatest rescue operation ever undertaken. It was undertaken by God. And the purpose, obviously, was to bring light in the midst of great darkness. It didn't come through a coalition of armies. It didn't come because there were uh, uh, guns and tanks and aircraft and ships that were amassed. All of it was funneled through one person. His name is Jesus Christ. It was the fullness of heaven, and the beachhead was established in Israel, and the situation couldn't have been more hopeless. It couldn't have been darker, because all of humanity had wholesale turned to worship the creature instead of the creator. You know, we are made to worship God. We're made to worship the one true God. But the spiritual reality is this, we have turned altogether our hearts towards idolatry and turned away from him. Like Paul said, we have chosen, even though God has revealed himself in absolutely undeniable ways, we have chosen to worship the creature instead of the creator. And that was the, that was the darkness that the incarnation pierced. There was a lostness, there was a hopelessness. And all of that, the tide of all of that was turned when Christ came from heaven to earth. The incarnation of the word of God was God's revolution to restore humanity from idolatry to worship the true God and to restore true purpose. I want you to think about the incarnation in that framework today. Sometimes, you know, when we think of the incarnation, we're thinking about Christmas, we're thinking about a little baby in a manger, we're thinking about surrounded by some animals, kind of a difficult situation, silent night, peaceful in Bethlehem, but the truth was, it couldn't have been a more hopeless moment. And what did God do in that hopelessness? Well, the Word of God. You remember him, right? Verses one to five. The word of God was the one through whom God brought his revolution to restore humanity out of that idolatry, to worship the true God and to restore our true purpose. Listen, in other words, let me say it like this. It was through the incarnation. And don't get me wrong today. I'm not just reducing all of this to the incarnation. When I say incarnation, I am talking about the fullness of the ministry of Jesus, incarnation, life of perfection, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father. Through that work, right? Just look at it from that holistic perspective. Through that work, God turned the tide. God rescued souls. God has been turning lives around for 2,000 years. Is your life one of those lives? You know, we don't see it like this because we think that we're all set, good to go, flying right side up, but the truth is we are flying upside down and we don't know until we're confronted with the person of Christ. And then when we believe in Jesus, he takes our upside down life and turns it right side up. You know, 
You know if you put your trust and faith in him what that looks like. And this is the glory of the incarnation. I'm going to say something to you today that's going to be repeated over and over again in different ways. But heaven isn't just a place we're waiting to inherit in the distant future. It is a reality to be experienced on a daily basis. Like when we're talking about the incarnation, what we mean is this. Heaven isn't just a place we're waiting to inherit in the distant future. You know, kind of like, well, I got saved and my life really sucks and things are really miserable and I just got to bide my time and, and pull up my bootstraps and just get through it because this existence is miserable, but heaven's going to be awesome. Heaven's going to, that's not the way the Christian lives. We're not wait, we're not just waiting for, some of you are like, wait a minute, that's my life. That was my life this week. I mean, that just described my life this week. You know, I live with an anticipation that Christ comes back. You know, and that's a good anticipation to have. But you know, there are so many promises. The fullness of heaven has been supplied to all of us right now. Hey, the incarnation means now is the operative word. If we're just biding our time and waiting to get through this, and this is really just absolutely miserable and heaven will be great, I'll tell you what, the unsaved people around you will look at your life and they'll think, you know what, why would I want what they have? Because their life's no different than mine. Like, they're just as miserable as I am right now. And yet, what our lives should demonstrate is heaven can be experienced on a daily basis because of the incarnation of Jesus. This is what John is going to work out in these uh, few verses that we just read together. There is a revolution that's underway. And what he's going to do is is he's going to, the bridge has already been built, right? But he's going to express how God built the bridge from heaven to earth. Because what we were left with was the ineffable word of God. When I say ineffable, do you know what that word means? Doesn't work well with modern slang. But ineffable means uh, unspeakable. It means it's so extraordinary you can't even put it into words. Like you're in this place of awe. And I think John lived in this place of awe. And I think when he conveys the things that he does about the glory of Jesus Christ. We have a picture that after 60 years of walking with Jesus, it never got dull for the apostle. It wasn't just as if, you know, Jesus was just all right. No, Jesus was absolutely amazing. And you get that in verses one to five, right? He is, he is the word of God. He is the almighty creator. There's nothing that was made that was made without him. He is eternal. He transcends time itself. He is the source of all light and life. There is no other source. And he is source, life, in creation. He is the victorious one. The darkness cannot comprehend him. The darkness cannot overcome him because he is and always will be victorious in every way. And so in verses 1 to 5, you've got this picture of this, this ineffable son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead. And it would be one thing if John left it there. Like that would be extraordinary to behold, but there would be this chasm between ourselves and him. And so what John does in these verses is he expresses the bridge that was built in the coming of the son, the condescension of the son. We call it the incarnation of the son who was ruling in heaven on the throne of God uh, with the adulation of angels and yet humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 10, humbled himself and came 
in the likeness of man. Well, John describes this in four phases today. If you're taking notes in your encounter journal, let me give you those four phases today, and you can take notes in whatever you're writing in. Uh, Number one is illumination, verses six to nine. Number two is separation, verses 10 to 13. Number three is incarnation, verses 14 to 16. And number four is revelation, verses 17 to 18. So this is the, this is the way that John works out uh, the condescension of the Son of God to earth. It was illumination, it was separation, it was incarnation, and it was revelation. Now re- remember with me the picture he's already given to us of the extraordinary beauty of the incarnation is creation. So he starts his gospel account with, in the beginning, God, which, of course, takes us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness covered the face of the earth, and, and the, the Spirit brooded over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and light was. That's the picture, right? We have this, we have this parallel between Genesis, creation, And John chapter 1, incarnation, there was total darkness, is conveyed in Hebrew terms where it gives the implication of chaos and void um, and and in a way destruction. And then all of that turns around when, when God speaks his word and light penetrates that darkness. And this is the way that John sees the incarnation. He sees it Uh, in a similar way. In a spiritual sense, there was chaos and there was destruction and it covered the face of the earth. And then all of a sudden, light came through the sun. The world was illuminated, almost said eliminated. No, not yet. The world was illuminated through the coming of Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied about this 600 years before the incarnation. And he said, he said it like this, He said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And John is simply like giving the the spiritual context of the Galilee in Jerusalem when Jesus rolled in on the scene. It was the darkest time in Israel's history. And it was in this dark context that the light of Christ shone upon the Jewish people. He would go on to say, and you know these verses, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and we will call his name Wonderful. You guys know how this goes? I know it's not Christmas, but just work with me, okay? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hey, he is wonderful. He is wonderful. He is wonderful. Look, he he should cause us to be in a a state of wonder or a state of awe. The word literally means to be in a place where you're speechless. When you behold the person of Christ in the scriptures or you experience him on a daily basis, there are times where it's like, man, you just don't have words to convey. There's no way you could capture the beauty of who he is Because of what's revealed to you through the Spirit of God as you read the Scriptures and, in addition to that, the depth of what He does in your life as He works powerfully. He is the counselor. Do you need wisdom today? Do you need guidance today? 
Uh, you don't have to go to Wikipedia. You can go to Jesus Christ, and, and he'll, he'll give you exactly what you need. He is mighty God. I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing prophetic implication, 700 years or so before the incarnation of Christ, that he would be more than just a, a prophet, more than just some great religious leader, but that he would be God incarnate, everlasting father, a picture of the Trinity, and then, of course, prince of peace. John says it like this, he is the true light. He is the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. It was dark. It was spiritually impossible to see. Our lives were upside down. And then all of a sudden, everything was illuminated through Jesus Christ. Right. Now, I will tell you, there are different views on what uh, it means that he was the true light that gives light to everyone coming into the world. Does it mean that, and there's different ways that this is translated. Some people say, well, well, what it means is that every person is illuminated by Jesus Christ and bears a responsibility because of that illumination, uh, an illumination that's like general revelation of creation, but in a spiritual sense, Everyone has a capacity, the Christ-given capacity to recognize who he is. There are some people who say that. Others say, no, this is not an inward illumination. This is an outward illumination. John is talking in context about the incarnation, and when he came, it was total darkness, and he illuminated who the Father was. He made himself visible. This was the invasion of true light that shines in the darkness and divides. It is the brightness of the incarnation. And I land in that camp. I like the way the ESV says it about him. He was the one who was coming in the world. He brings illumination today. You don't have to live in the darkness of your sin and your trespass and the confusion of the philosophy of the world because Christ will illuminate your life. Number two is this. He brings separation. Well, the Bible says in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Say that with me. Who what? Who? Yeah. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Like, do you get the point? He's like being intentionally uh, specific about this but obviously of the will of God. The second thing that we learn um, that John conveys about the coming of the Son of God, not only did he illuminate the darkness in the world, but he came bringing separation. He came bringing division. Let me tell you, I think that from many people's point of view, the most unexpected thing happened. Like I think if you were just reading the story and you were um, considering it maybe just from a worldly perspective, hey, things were really bad, lots of people were really lost, hopeless situation, you know, kind of like a Marvel movie, there's this great figure, this great character, this almighty powerful one who is sent by God to rescue, like the conclusion would be, well, why wouldn't everybody believe? Why wouldn't everybody want to receive? Why wouldn't everybody just by nature say yes because they know that they need to be rescued? And that really is where the issue is. The vast majority of people don't realize that they need to be rescued. And so when Messiah came, he was not wholesale received. He was almost wholesale resisted. Almost wholesale resisted. Listen, I think uh, and if you were living in uh, Judaism in that era, 
and you were hanging with people and you're talking about Jesus, he would have gotten mixed reviews. I, one thing that annoys me today is that there are reviews on everything. You know, Google reviews, Yelp reviews, sometimes it's helpful, don't get me wrong. But you know, it's interesting how people uh, use reviews as a platform to just be critical, right? I mean, you don't like something, something annoys you, a person annoys you, and so what do you, what do, you do? Well, you do the courageous thing. You go online and you give a nasty review. And, and you know, sometimes it's like, I just think, I just think, cut it out. That's what I think. I think, get over it. I think, hey, your opinion doesn't really matter all that much. And why use platforms like that just to be critical anyway? I think it would have been cool, you know, 2,000 years ago, if there was a Google review or, uh, you know, uh, a Yelp review, hey, let's review who Jesus is. What would people be saying? Well, I really didn't like the way that he dressed. You know, that whole tunic that was seamless, I think he could have been maybe a little more professional in the way that he dressed. Or, you know, I didn't really like his sandals. I would have preferred that he wore some Birkenstocks or at least some Doc Martin sandals. And then, then he would have been re- relevant, right? Because all the stuff that he was wearing wasn't relevant. You know, I'm just, you know, this is all tongue in cheek, but sometimes people can be critical over the most unessential things. He got mixed reviews then, he gets mixed reviews today. You can be in the workplace and you can be talking about God and, and then, you know, you bring up Jesus, you have the audacity to say the, the name Jesus. I mean, it could be a good conversation. Hey, you know, God this, God that, what, what you believe is good for you. And, and you know, God's, God's a God of love anyway, and it can be a nice conversation. And then you can, you can have the audacity to say, well, you know, God has a son and his name's Jesus, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, you know, they're throwing water in your face or, you know, they're, they're Google reviewing you and, and how much you annoy them. It, there is power in his name is all I'm trying to say today. There is power in his name. Jesus gets mixed reviews today. John Lennon said this. He said, Jesus was all right. He said, Jesus, now listen, there, there's two sides of this. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. Now, the second half of that, I think sometimes is true. Sometimes Christians really do give a false perception or revelation of who Jesus is. And and people can come away thinking, man, if Jesus is like that, I want nothing to do with them. God help us not to do that. The first piece, though, Jesus was all right, it just falls so short. Like if he was given a review, I think Jesus, he would have given Jesus like two and a half stars or three stars. It's like, oh yeah, he's okay. You know, nothing really to write home about. He's kind of a mediocre. I just want to say to you, he's much more than mediocre. He's amazing. He's extraordinary. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your worship. And yet, you know, just like when light split the darkness and divided it, so also Jesus does the same thing. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Now, some people say when the Bible says that, it's talking about creation. He has made all things. He's created all things. And, and humanity wholesale has rejected the Son. I think, man, that is a, a powerful picture to try to get your brain around, right? Here you've made and shaped and lovingly 
orchestrated like a symphony all of creation. You've dispensed light and life into every human being, and you come to your own creation, and your own creation rebels against you. Your own creation says, you know what? No, thank you. Don't want you. Don't need you. Never did. Never will. Go away. And then on the other hand, some people say, well, it's not just creation wholesale. It's the Jewish people. Like he came to his own people, and his own people didn't receive him. And I think, man, how much more difficult is it to get your mind around that? Because the Jewish people were teed up. It was a divine setup in the best sense, right? To them had been committed the oracles of God. They had the prophecies to look to. When you were growing up in the era of Christ as a child in a Jewish family, it was built into you to be looking forward to Messiah, I mean, it was built into you to think, man, maybe my generation's the generation. Maybe we're going to be the ones that are blessed to be present on the face of the earth when the anointed one, the chosen one, the one the people have been looking forward to for thousands of years arrives on the scene. You know, the fulfillment of the Passover lamb celebrated every year in that Seder dinner, there was an anticipation that they had. And yet this is such a sad portion of scripture. As we read, he came to his own and his own received him not. Isaiah 53, three says this, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. The people most expected to receive him rejected him And they rejected him, especially after he suffered the disgrace of the cross. You know, the cross wasn't just intended to be a form of capital punishment. It was the most extreme form of shaming an individual. As they hung on a cross for multiple days, naked, being not only only suffering, suffering the excruciating pain of crucifixion, but being nibbled on by flies and rats and birds. I mean, it was a horrible scene. It was the most disgraceful way to die. And the Jewish people could not understand how their Messiah would do such a thing. As they were expecting him to come and overthrow the power of Rome, it would appear that he, in fact, was overcome by Rome's power. And the disgrace of the cross turn many of them away, especially the religious leaders, to the extent that the words of the prophet were fulfilled, that the chief cornerstone became a stumbling block to them all. And while that sounds like bad news, let me tell you, it doesn't end like that. There's really good news. The Bible says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yeah, for sure. So you have division, you have those who reject, you have those who receive, and when they receive, this is what happens. God adopts them. It is adoption into the family of God. This is the plan all along of the Father. And the beauty of this heavenly family that God himself is creating And John is super specific here. He's like, hey, by the way, and I'll handle this backwards, it's not because of blood, it's not because of the will of the flesh, nor is it because of the will of man. You don't get into God's family just because of your Jewish pedigree. It's not because of your lineage. And this was the common mindset of the Jew. It's like, hey, well, listen, we're sons and daughters of Abraham, 
And because we're sons and daughters of Abraham, we by default have been accepted into the family of God. And John deconstructs that, you know, to much of their disappointment. He deconstructs it and he's like, hey, listen, it's not your physical lineage. It's not because you have been born into some particular ethnicity or ethnic group. It's more than that. And he says, oh, by the way, also, it's not because you've just by nature been born into God's family. It's not through natural birth. Now, listen, we hear this all the time. People are like, hey, you know what? We're all sons and daughters of God. And, you know, God loves everybody. And by nature, we're just born as God's children. Let's hug each other and have a Coke. And, you know, this will be just a great moment as we recognize the, the, the divine spark that dwells within all humanity. And, and John says, no, that's not the way it works. Just because a Jew doesn't, you're a Jew doesn't mean you're accepted into God's family. And you're not born that way either. Because the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are all children of wrath. Our sins and trespasses have separated us from God. We have chosen to worship the creature rather than the creator. We have arranged by nature our lives around idols that we worship. You say, you know, we don't worship idols today. That was like, you know, thousands of years ago when they created these little images and then they worshiped idols. And I say, no, we worship idols today. They're much more sophisticated, right? They can go from zero to 60 in like 1.8 seconds. That's what our idols can do. We, we, we arrange and shape our lives around things that we have created instead of the one who has created all things. We are born lost. We are born separated from God. We are born in need of rescue. We are born living our lives upside down instead of right side up. We have all together, all of us, turned ourselves away from God, which is why he sent his son to beckon or to call us back to himself. Today, you might come and sit in the seat and think, hey, listen, we're all good, right? Hey, pastor, we're all good. And we're good with the guy upstairs. You know, we've got our own arrangement. We've got our own agreement. We've kind of sorted it out ourselves. And I say, no, we've all started off on the wrong foot, and we are all in need of divine rescue. So, so, it's not lineage, it's not natural birth, neither is it the will of man. Neither is it the will of man. Well, what does that mean? You don't get into the family of God by your own efforts. It's not your own efforts. So, well, wait a minute, I'm coming to church, that's got to count for something, doesn't it? Isn't there like this uh, spiritual piggy bank that every time I do something that God wants me to do, it's like dropping a coin in it? And, you know, as long as I do all those things, when I get to heaven, I'll have a big piggy bank I can offer to God of spiritual things that I've done, and hopefully they'll outweigh the bad things that I've done. And I can, you know, give, I can say to God, hey, listen, I went to church on a regular basis. I put my kids in a Christian school. I bought the Encounter Journal. I went to the Gospel Advancement, you know, Spotlight, and that wasn't easy because, you know, God, I had to give up two hours of my Sunday. That was you know, 90 minutes a pastor and then another 45 minutes and look at all I've done for you. Look at all I've done for you. And God says, your righteousnesses are like filthy rags before me. Your righteousnesses are like filthy rags before me. They have no value apart from your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, which is why when he was on the cross, he said those words, it is finished. 
Tetelestai. He lived a perfect life for us so that through him, the righteous demands of the law could be fulfilled. And when we put our trust and faith in him, not only are we forgiven, but we are wrapped in his righteousness and we're accepted by the Father into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says this, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You say, well, listen, if it's not, if it's not lineage, if it's not natural birth, and it's not human performance, what is it? This is what it is. Who believe in his name? Those who believe in his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. And when you call on the name of the Lord, you will not be put to shame. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The person of Christ brings division. He brings separation, and it demands a decision. Today, rescue is available to you. And if you've never put your trust and faith in Christ, don't think like this. Don't think, well, you know what? I'm not ready. I'm not going to make a decision. In not making a decision, I'm not really making a decision. No, to not decide is to decide. To not decide is to decide. To say maybe tomorrow is to say no to God. He's extending, and he has extended to you his righteous right hand of acceptance through the incarnation of his son. And today you need to choose. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, and I don't have time to explain this, but he said, Jesus is either lunatic, liar, or Lord. Based on what he said, based on what he said, and today you need to choose which one he is for you. He is a reality to be reckoned with. The third thing is incarnation. Let me read verse 14. And the word became, you guys with me still? Okay. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then parenthetical, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. The second thing is this, it's incarnation. So we have illumination, we have separation and division. And then John says, hey, he is the reality to be reckoned with. He is a reality to be reckoned with. It actually did happen. The word became flesh. Those beautiful descriptive ways that he has been conveyed in verses one to five all became a reality for us. Christ is not a philosophy to follow. He's not some esoteric principle of reason. He took upon himself a physical body. He was incarnate. And this was important for John to be able to convey because there were false teachings circulating among some of the believers that said Jesus did not have a physical body. And because he didn't have a phys physical body, he wasn't really physically crucified on a cross. And because he wasn't really physically crucified on the cross, he was never resurrected from the dead. But listen, if you don't have a, if you don't have a real incarnation, and you don't have a real crucifixion, and you don't have a real resurrection, then what is Christianity? It is absolutely nothing. And so John addresses this. He deals with it. And he says, no, listen, the Son of God, the Word of God, added to himself a physical body. He was incarnate. That word means to be in the flesh. I love what the angel directed Joseph to do with respect to this. He said, you will call his name Emmanuel, that is to say, God with us. He dwelt with us, John says, or he tabernacled among us. The, the picture in the Jewish mind would have been of the tabernacle of meeting. This is what John 
is uh, kind of eliciting from the Jewish mind. They would have gone back to the tabernacle where Moses would have gone into the most holy place and had communion with God in his presence, the glory of God descending upon that place. And the glory so profound that when Moses walked out of the holy of holies, there was the Shekinah glory, there was the afterglow upon him. You know, when John uses this terminology, he's talking about that, that we were face to face with God himself. He pitched his tent, he dwelt with us, he was numbered among the transgressors. He says this in 1 John chapter 1, our eyes saw him, our ears heard him, our hands have handled him. He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Now the word glory, and let me just say, verse 14 is such a a powerful sentence. It's such a powerful statement. Like how do you sum up the beauty of the incarnation? Well, under the inspiration of the spirit of God, John does it in such a glorious way. He says, he was incarnate, he became flesh, he pitched his tent among us, we were as it were face to face with God himself, and we beheld his glory. This word glory, every Jew would have known, is the Hebrew word kabod, not kebab, all right, for those of you who are hungry today, it's, it's kabod, and this was used in the Old Testament to denote a visible manifestation of God's self-disclosure in a theophany. That's what the word was used for, a visible manifestation of the self-disclosure of God in a theophany. You're like, man, what does that mean? Well, let me say it like this. Hey, y'all remember those times when God just appeared to people in the Old Testament? You remember that? You remember when God appeared to Abraham and Sarah? That was a theophany. It was a physical manifestation of God's self-disclosure. Or, hey, do you remember that time where Jacob was in the desert and he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord and he recognized that he had been wrestling with God himself? That was a theophany and the word glory is used there. Hey, do you remember the time when Moses was on Mount Sinai and there was that burning bush and the the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. And so Moses stepped aside to look and God spoke God spoke from the bush, the angel of the Lord, theophany, physical manifestation, a disclosure of God as he gives his very name to Moses and the Israelites. That little picture, those little moments. You remember Samson's mom and dad, Manoah, and and his wife, how the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Hey, do you remember Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael when they were in the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar was doing the math? And he's like dude, didn't we throw three in? And why, why, why are there four? Like, you know, I'm, I'm just doing the math here. Why are there four? And that fourth one has the appearance of the Son of God, right? This is kabod. This is glory. This is, this is a moment where there is a theophany through which people are able to see a very personal self-disclosure of the Father. And what John is saying is, we had that all the time. We had permanent Kabod with us, a permanent self-disclosure of the Father to us through the Son. John's, it's just, it's good. It's good. He's amazing. He is amazing. And I, you know, honestly, like, 
I, I frame this teaching and I, I work on it and I think there's no way. There's no way to communicate how glorious he is, how beautiful he is, how extraordinary he is. You know, sometimes we'll open a, we're so forensic with the scripture and sometimes so dutiful with the word of God. We open and we read and it's like, well, I read a chapter today. Hopefully it'll do something. Hopefully it counts for something. And it's like, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You are meeting with God. You're meeting with God. You're reading a gospel account, and there's a self-disclosure of the Son to you. You are filled with the Spirit of God who gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And and there's there's a moment that He grants you to be able to come face to face, as it were, with the Word of God, with the Son of God. You know, and in all of that, sometimes we miss the glory and the beauty of what it is that God is doing. The Doobie Brothers sang a song. It was called, Jesus is Just All Right With Me. Kind of like John Lennon's point of view. And I just want to say to you again, he is way more than that. He is way more than that. There's a uniqueness to Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten of the Father. While we are adopted into the family of God, he is the only begotten Son. He is the same in essence as the Father. And John says, man, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. On the one hand, he came and his truth pierced our hearts and we recognized how far we were from the Father. We had no idea until of the revelation of the Son and the truth that he brought. And then he goes on to say, and thank God for this. And then in addition to that, we also experienced grace right? It wasn't just, hey, you're separated, you're far away, you're under that condemnation, and there's no hope for you. No, it was also, that, that's true, there was also grace, the revelation that God went to the ultimate extreme to reach out to us through His only Son. You're sitting here today, and some of you are skeptics, and you're thinking, man, what has God ever done for me? Let me tell you what He did, Jesus. Jesus. He gave the Son. He gave the Son for you. It is grace and it is truth. And the final piece today is revelation. The final piece today that's expressed by John is that the kingdom of God has come with the Son and been made available to us. The kingdom of God has come with the Son and has been made available to us. Let me just read this. Really quickly, for from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Final thing is this, John, like it just, the picture of this is like, John is saying, man, there was a overflowing fullness to him. There was an overflowing fullness. The Greek word is pleureo. And the picture is when you take a cup and you fill it with water and you know the, 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 the level of the water rises to the place where the cup can't handle any more water and you continue pouring so that there is just an overflow. Like you get smacked at home when you do that, right? It's like, hey, idiot, hey, idiot. You just got, you just got water or tea or whatever it is all over the counter, But the picture of Jesus is this, the fullness of heaven, the fullness of the Godhead bodily is poured out in in him, and we have received the overflow of that. 
We have received the overflow. There was a pouring over of the very person of God. This is what John is saying in a biographical way. There was an overpouring of the person of God upon our lives, and we have all received. This is the intention of the Father to, to bring, to bring the fullness of heaven into your lives. And the way that he describes it is this. It was grace upon grace, and the way it's framed in the original language, you could say it like this. It was grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, like it never stopped. It never stopped. What is grace? Well, God's riches at Christ's expense. Like the full riches of God came through the life of Christ in an overflowing way and filled our lives. Grace. I want to, let me say, let me describe grace for you in a different way. Grace is like a pipeline of God's riches that flow freely through faith in Christ. It is a pipeline of God's riches that flow freely through faith in Christ. Uh, in Bolivia, there's a pipeline. It's called the Gaspol Pipeline. It connects natural gas from Bolivia to the northern part of Brazil. It's 3,000 meters long or 3,000 miles long, excuse me. And there are some 11,000 cubic feet of natural gas that are pumped into the state of Brazil through this pipeline. I'm just saying there's a lot of natural gas that comes. It's a pipeline that connects. So what does that mean? That means that there's a pipeline between you and heaven. It's called the Son of God in the incarnation. The fullness of heaven has been connected to your life here on earth. And it's through Jesus that the riches of God pour into your life. Listen, you've had a rough week. You've had a, a week where you've struggled. Maybe you've had a month. Maybe you've had a year. Maybe you've had five years. You're like, man, my life is weak. It's anemic. Pastor, I've been struggling. I'm spiritually in a desert. I just feel like I'm barely making it through life. And I just want to ask you, have you turned off the valve of God's riches? Have you turned them off? You say, you say, well, I'm not a very good Christian. I don't come to church regularly like I should. I say, what does that have to do with grace? You believed in his name. No, the pipeline's been established. The riches have been provided. You've been, you've been, turning, the, the, you've been turning the volume of the lever to off. And you need to get back to a place where you're walking in the fullness of heaven's riches because you are turning on everything that God has for you. Look, you do this later on yourself, but I would encourage you to do a word study on the word grace. And what you'll discover is it's connected to all these riches that God has given. You say, well, name some. I say, thanks for asking, because that's what I'm going to do. In his grace, you have the favor of God. In his grace, you have the strength of God. Because of his grace, you have the power of God. You don't have to live weak, anemic, spiritual lives because God has supplied you with all the power you need in Christ. It is through grace that you have confidence. It's through grace that you have salvation. It's through the grace of God that you've been accepted in the beloved. It is through God's grace that you've been justified. You have right standing before the Father. I'm saying to you today, everything that you need, everything that you need, stop looking to the world. Stop looking to other people to supply for you what only God can give you? Stop relying on other people as if they're God when they're not. 
Look, you want to create codependent, toxic relationships? Start looking and asking for people to do what only God can do for you. Start locking into all that God has provided through grace because the law came through Moses. The law came through Moses. It pointed the way, but Moses was unable to take us to the promised land. Jesus is able and has taken us to the promised land. For the grace of God, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The Son has manifested the Father. He's made, he's made him visible. We can turn from worshiping the creature and we can worship the creator because we see him for who he is. And today, maybe that's the step of faith you need to take. You're here and the reality is you've never believed in the name of Jesus Christ and been adopted into his family today is your day to make a decision for him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word and all that we have in your son. And God, may there not be a single soul that leaves this place untouched, untouched by him. We ask in this moment, Father, that you would stir hearts, that you would turn lives around, that you would restore what has been broken. Today, as we're just closing this time together, maybe today you need to take that step of faith and trust in Christ. It's not about your spiritual efforts. It's not that you have just by nature been born into God's family. You need to be born again. And the Bible says, Jesus speaking, unless one is born again, he or she cannot see the kingdom of God. Will you take that step of faith today? Will you trust in the name of Jesus? You know, when I put my trust in Christ, I didn't, I didn't understand the theology behind the gospel. All I knew was that I needed a savior. And when I believed in his name, he did not let me down. And he won't let you down either. You can come today just like you are. And this morning, if this is you and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive the grace of God. Today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you and just stretch your hand up high. You'd say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I see your hand over here on my right. Thank you. No one can make this decision for you. You need to make it yourself. I see your hands over here on my left. And it's no accident that you're present here in this place today. God's brought you here for this reason. Over here on my right, I see your hand. You're not here to put a spiritual penny in the piggy bank. I see your hand here in the center. Thank you so much. Today you need to believe. We're here on my left. Thank you so much. And your life might be a, a total wreck, a disaster, and I'm telling you, he has the power. He has the power to save you. You need him today. Anybody else?
you're a Christian today, I think you over here on my right. If you're a Christian today and, you know, in some way you've been living a spiritually anemic life, you've not been really living the fullness of the Father's riches, and today, you know, you need to make a decision too. You need to choose to receive all that's been supplied in the Son. Stop saying no to God. Stop looking to the world. Stop looking to other people. And let God give you times of refreshing right here and right now. This is you this morning. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you as well. I see your hands. Thank you. Over here on my left, here in the center, over here on my right, here in the front. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for these today. And God, would you please, as prayers are offered, would you powerfully answer in very personal ways like you alone are able to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, for those of you who have raised your hands, today you need to, you need to make a concrete decision. You need to choose. Maybe for some of you, it's putting your trust and faith in Christ for the very first time. It's good for me to pray for you, but you, you have to initiate this relationship with God through your own confession of sin and through your own confession of faith in Christ. There's one mediator, there's one who stands between you and God, and that's Jesus Christ. And today you need to give him your heart and your life. And in addition to that, maybe today as a Christian, you know you've been living a life far less than what God has for you. I want to encourage you today, you need to pray as well. You need to take a concrete step of faith. You need to have a point in time that you can look back to and say, man, that was, that was a moment I rededicated my life to Christ and my life has never been the same since. Pastor Tony is going to lead us in a song of worship today. If you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. And so I want you to come on down to the front. You can stand next to one of our follow-up leaders. Just stand up right now. Begin to make your way down. We're going to wait for you this morning. So I lead you in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. And it's a very, very simple prayer that I want to lead you in. And it is a prayer of confession and confession of sin, worshiping things other than God. It's a confession of repentance and faith in Christ, turning your life to Him. And today, God is promised, God has committed Himself to answer your prayer and to touch and to change your life. He is the one who has spoken to you today, and He is the one who has been stirring you to take this step of faith, and with all of that, He is going to see it all the way through. So today, I'm going to lead you in prayer. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer out loud after me. Father, today, I believe. I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in the power of your Son, and as I turn away from my sin, I turn my whole heart to Him, believing that He died for me and that He rose again. And I receive the fullness of your blessings. 
God, the gift of everlasting life, the power of your spirit to live a life that pleases you. I give my whole self to you. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.